tender shepherd, you have safely led us. You have carried us in your arms to this day of our lives, to this moment of our lives. And at the heart of the gospel is this rich promise that you will continue to carry us until you have brought us safely, fully, finally into the presence of the Father who has loved us from before the foundation of the world. We give these gifts to you this day. They are not ours. You have given them to us first. But we give these gifts to you, asking you that you would use these gifts and us, that this blessed gospel might be seen and heard in this place and in places far away. To the praise of your glorious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We are still in the Christmas season. That's why these uh, poinsettias are still here and these garlands are still hanging and these wreaths are still hanging. We're in the Christmas season You know that song, The Twelve Days of Christmas? You know, the partridge and the pear tree and all that stuff? I don't know anything about the song, but I know that the Twelve Days of Christmas celebrate the time between Christmas Day and the Epiphany, which is January 6th, celebrated by the church. The the day in the church calendar when Jesus is presented as the Savior of the nations, when he appears publicly and is presented as the Savior of the nation. So we're still in Christmas. That's why we sang Joy to the World, and that's why we're reading from Luke chapter 2 this morning. So let me have you look there, uh, and we will read, beginning at verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting For the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed. 
and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is God's word. He gives it to his people for their good. And we need for his spirit to help us receive it. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Um, You are the word incarnate. You are the word made flesh. But this is your word, uh, a record of the promise of your coming and a record of the fulfillment of that promise. And now, having given us your word, we pray that you, by your spirit, through your spirit, would come and walk among us and speak to us, open our hearts, open our eyes, take this your word, drill it into our hearts so that it may stay there, so that it may bear much fruit for our good and for your glory. We pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Ireland is uh, a land of poets. Ireland. Ah, Ireland. Ireland has produced uh, many great poets, um, though not, I guess, strictly Irish. Ireland has produced bards, storytellers like Harry the Blind, if you know. Anything about uh, the story of William Wallace, you'll, you'll know that whether it's a movie or a novel or, or anything else, anything that anybody represents regarding William Wallace can be traced back to this poem that the bard Harry the Blind constructed sometime in the 15th century, in the 1400s. He, uh, he pulled together strands of history and tradition and lore and created this sort of epic poem about William Wallace. Uh, he was Gaelic, so even though he was writing about a Scot, we'll, we'll take him. The Irish don't have enough of their own, so they steal wherever they can. But Ireland has produced great poets. Uh, you probably know the names of some of them. I had to check Wikipedia to be sure that I was right about who some of them are, but uh, you all who Many of you know more about these things than I do. Know that Ireland has produced great poets. One of them is probably not Paul David Hewson. Um, I, I doubt that Paul David Hewson's poetry is going to be recited in 100 years or 150 years or two or 300 years. Paul David Hewson, a.k.a. Bono, lead singer, songwriter for the mega popular Irish band U2, probably isn't going to be quoted along with James Joyce and Yeats and Samuel Beckett and the other great Irish poets. But he happens to be a favorite poet of mine. So he gets quoted here. And while he may not be a great poet, he sure captured and expressed what we all feel, what we all know and we all feel. I've climbed highest mountains. I've run through the fields only to be with you, only to be with you. But I still haven't 
found what I'm looking for. I believe in the kingdom come when all the colors will bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds. You loosed the chains. You carried the cross of my shame, of my shame. And you know I believe it. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. When this song was released in the late 80s, um, I remember it was from an album called The Joshua Tree, and it's still a favorite album of mine. And I remember reading critical reviews, meaning reviews that were critical of the song. And they were written by evangelical types, Bible-believing types like us, because the band, U2, in its early days especially, but continuously across the whole of its career, has been regarded, not self-promoted, but has been regarded by people who know the band as a group of musicians who really have embraced, at some level, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It may come as a surprise to you. I can give you some passages, some quotes from, from Bono that will stun you. It'll sound like stuff right out of C.S. Lewis. And when this song appeared, there were people writing uh, criticizing the lyric and criticizing the song. And the gist of it was this. Gosh, these guys are supposed to be Christians. They're supposed to be people who have believed in Jesus. They write songs with biblical texts. They write lyrics that reflect biblical themes. What is this? What does this mean? Yes, I'm still running. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I remember thinking when I was reading those reviews of that song, gosh, Maybe something's wrong with me. Because I know Jesus. And I've embraced the gospel. And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You get what I mean? You get what I mean? You broke the bonds, you loosed the chains, you carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. In other words, I'm still waiting. Aren't you? Aren't you still waiting? Aren't you still longing? Aren't you just like Simeon? Yes, To be sure, on the other side of Jesus' life of obedience, of his substitutionary death on the cross, of his subsequent entombment and resurrection and ascension and outpouring of the Spirit, yes, we live on the other side of those things. We don't minimize those things. We don't in any way diminish those things. But can we really say as Christians, this is as good as it gets? Aren't we still waiting? Isn't there still a longing? Isn't there still something more that we're looking for? Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Anna, the prophetess, who is in the next little passage following the one we read. Anna, the prophetess, 
was waiting for the redemption of Israel. That's in verse 36. Joseph of Arimathea was waiting for the kingdom of God. That's Luke 23, 51. They're not looking for three different things. They're not looking for the consolation of Israel as over against the redemption of Jerusalem, as over against the kingdom of God. There are three ways of talking about the same thing, and no matter how you slice it, how you cut it up, the fulfillment of that longing is in the one person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the longing for the consolation of Israel. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the longing for the redemption of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the longing for the kingdom of God. We are just like Simeon. We are just like Anna. We are just like Joseph of Arimathea. We are just like Abraham who was looking for a city whose foundations are built and made by God. Hebrews 11.10 We are just like Abraham, who with all of the other patriarchs, desire a better country, a heavenly one. Hebrews 11.16 Folks, here we are, January 1st, 2012, at the head of a new year. A year is over behind us. I wasn't up late. I didn't send out the old and ring in the new. I was sleeping like a baby. But I woke up this morning and found myself on the other side of that threshold. Here we are, all of us together at the head of a new year. As you peer out into the unknown and unknowable of the year 2012 and beyond, what do you see out there? What's out there? You're still longing. You're still waiting. What is said about Simeon here in a few short words, I guarantee you, is true for you. A devout man, a righteous man who was waiting for consolation. Waiting for consolation. Let's start with the English word. It's interesting, isn't it, that the translators in just about every version, I've read from the ESV this morning, the English Standard Version, but I think if you look at the King James or you look at the New American Standard, virtually every version the translators choose this word to translate the Greek word, consolation. Isn't that a wonderful word? Consolation. It comes from a couple of Latin words. It means to give comfort, to bring comfort. It's related to the word console. Talked to a neighbor just yesterday. I was cutting my grass, and my neighbor walked by and, and actually kind of stopped me. And uh, he had talked to Barb just a couple of days before. And we learned, Barb learned a couple of days before, I learned yesterday, that the Wednesday before Christmas, he had a benign tumor removed from the base of his brain, in his skull. They had to 
He had to do the roto-rooter trick. They had to go up through his nose and into his sinuses and extract this thing. I, you know, Bob and Sue, if you're here this morning and I haven't seen you yet, please forgive me for telling this story, but it's just so poignant. We haven't talked a whole lot through the years. We've gone out for pizza a couple of times. But when he told me this and described this thing, I said, man, I wish I had known. I wish I had known. Why? Because I would have loved to have gone to the hospital and been able to pray with him and and be able to offer what? Some consolation, some comfort, some encouragement, even some exhortation. Consolation. Isn't it a wonderful word? Here is Simeon. We know nothing about this man. He's one of these characters who appears from nowhere, and vanishes as soon as he speaks. We don't know if he's young. We don't know if he's old. We don't know if he limps. We don't know if he's tall. We don't know if he's fat. We know nothing about him. I can't wait to meet him in the new heaven and the new earth when he and I together enjoy the thing for which he expresses longing here and for which I long consolation. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Where is it in your heart? The grief, the pain, the uncertainty, the sadness. See? You're still waiting. You want it gone. You want it done. You're still waiting. Consolation. It's a wonderful word. That's the English word But what word does it translate? That's maybe and really the more important thing. It's interesting that the translators use that word, but they use that word to translate a Greek word comes from two words. Let me just say this quickly. Somebody said to me, this is several months ago, somebody said after one of my sermons, I feel really smart when I leave your sermons. I don't tell you these things because I want you to think I'm smart, and I don't tell you these things so that you can go impress your friends with your own smartness. I tell you these things because they give us insight into what it is the Scriptures are saying to us. And the word that is in the original text, for which consolation is the translation, comes from two Greek words, parakaleo, Para, a little preposition that means to be called in or to come alongside. And the verb kaleo, which means to call. Uh, a paraclesis, uh, a paraclete from which, uh, which comes from the same word. A paraclete is someone who is called alongside. And the word has all kinds of meanings. It appears over one, in one form or another, it appears over 130 times in the New Testament. Paraclesis, parakletos, paraclete. What does it mean? The range of meanings is marvelous. It's used in classical Greek to describe an assistant who comes alongside a person 
in a court of law and who pleads that person's case in the court of law. That's a paraclete. Legal setting. Some kind of prosecution thing going on. Some kind of issue that needs to be resolved. And the paraclete is an assistant who comes in, who is called alongside, called in, to plead the case of the one who has summoned the paraclete. It means to exhort. It means to encourage. It means to comfort. It means to console. If you read You know, if you just mess around in the New Testament, you get a good concordance and you read the passages that employ this word, wherever it shows up, and it shows up a lot, there'll always be this diversity of meaning that's in view. It's like Joseph's coat of many colors. It's like a rainbow. You look at all of the different meanings and you begin to get some handles on what this term really means. What is Simeon waiting for? What's he looking for? He's waiting for the comforter of Israel. He's waiting for the consoler of Israel. He's waiting for the helper of Israel. He's waiting for the exhorter of Israel. He's waiting for the advocate of Israel. All of those things are bound up in the idea of paraclesis, a paraclete. And where does Simeon find that helper, that consoler, that comforter, that advocate, that exhorter? In this day's old infant. How can you get your brain around these things? That an utterly helpless, dependent, completely needy, day's old infant is the advocate of Israel, the exhorter of Israel, the helper of Israel, the consoler of Israel, the comforter of Israel. But that is what he is. And Simeon, having held this little baby in his hands, says basically this. He writes a song. He sings a song. And he says, I can die now. I can die now. Because what was promised has come. God is serious. He is serious in His resolve to fix what is broken. He is serious in His resolve to bind up the brokenhearted, to to release the captives, to set free the prisoners. He is serious in His resolve to fix everything that is wrong and broken. All of the stuff we talked about last week. I can die now. Because my eyes have seen. My eyes have seen. The consolation of Israel. Where does it show up in your Bibles? I've said it shows up 130 or 40 times in your New Testaments. It's also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In a whole bunch of places across the Old Testament prophets. Let me share just three passages where it's used. 1 John chapter 2.
verses 1 through 3. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And by the way, let's be clear about who is present in this room. Whether whether we've acknowledged it or not, whether we've acknowledged it as fully as we ought or not, let's be clear about who is in this room. There are sinners in this room, and I'm chief among them. John makes that very clear. Verse 9, the the previous passage, verses 8 and 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive our sins, he will cleanse us from every unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I'm writing these things, my children, so that you may not sin, but I know who you are. I know who we are, and when I come face to face with the reality of who and what I am, what do I have? Am I all on my own in this thing? Am I stuck with some sort of spiritual scrub brush, some brush, some sort of spiritual lie soap with which I try to scrub myself clean? Am I on my own in this thing, trying to raise myself up by my spiritual bootstraps so that God is compelled by my effort to accept me? Listen to what John says. If anyone does sin, we have a paraclete with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's the word in the text. We have a paraclete. We have an advocate. We have one who comes alongside to help us. When your conscience, and you have active consciences, when your conscience screams at you, guilty, 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 don't say no to your conscience. Don't silence your conscience. Say yes to your conscience and say to your conscience, there is one here who has been called alongside to help and he is not guilty and I have entrusted myself to him and he pleads my case before the Father. When the devil of hell comes to you in the middle of the night, early Sunday morning, when you have to get up and preach the next day, And the devil says you are an unworthy, foul-mouthed, black-hearted sinner. Don't say no. Say yes, devil, you are right. And I have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who lived the life that I have not lived, dying a death so that I might not die. And he is my friend at court. He is my advocate. And he pleads my case. That's the consolation of Israel. And if you're a Christian this morning, you have that consolation. And you don't minimize it. You are profoundly grateful for it. But it isn't the end of the story, is it? Because in your heart of hearts, 
You want more than an advocate who is with the Father. You want to be with the Father. You don't want an advocate in the presence of the Father. You want to be in the presence of the Father. John 14, verses 15 through 18. Jesus promise. Listen to this passage. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another paraclete. But there in the ESV, it's not translated advocate, is it? It's translated helper or comforter. I don't know what you have. The versions will use all of those words. Helper, comforter. He will give you another helper, paraclete, same word. And it's interesting, isn't it? The words that the translators use, I love the word comforter, because that too comes from a couple of Latin words that mean, when put together, with strength. There is no impotence. There is no powerlessness with this paraclete, with this one who is called alongside. This one comes and has strength. This helper. And read just a little bit farther and note the context, the connection in which this promise is made. I will ask the Father, He will give you another helper, another meaning one who is like the one He comes to replace. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He is not a free agent. He's not one who operates on his own by himself. He is commissioned by the Father and the Son. He is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. He comes bringing their very presence to our lives. He comes replacing Jesus. He comes, this helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. It doesn't see him, it doesn't know him, but you know him, for he dwells with you right now, and he will be in you in the day when he comes. And here's the context, it's verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you alone. But I will give you a paraclete, one who is called alongside, who comes with strength to encourage, to exhort, to comfort you. That's what the disciples are wrestling with, isn't it? They're wrestling with the fear of being abandoned. They're wrestling with the fear of being left alone. And Jesus is saying, you will not be alone. But it's not enough, is it? It is a blessed and incredible thing to have an advocate. It is an incredible thing to have the assurance 
of the presence of the Father and the Son by the agency of the Holy Spirit walking with me, accompanying me, defending me, protecting me. There's a wonderful prayer in the Book of Common Prayer. I'll find it for you. We use it periodically, sometimes in this church. There's a little phrase in it. It's an expression of thanksgiving to God that he has protected us from dangers both seen and unseen. Isn't it a blessed thing to know that the Father and the Son have commissioned the Spirit to come alongside you, to be with you, to bring strength, to walk with you so that you are not alone? But it isn't enough, is it? Why do I say that? Here's why I say that. I say that because the Apostle Paul said it in so many words. 2 Corinthians 1, 22. He has given us the Spirit as a down payment. He's given us the Spirit as a down payment. When you make a down payment, what are you doing? You're pledging something. You're depositing something in the expectation of receiving something greater because you've made the deposit, the down payment. He says the same thing in Ephesians 1. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Oh, what a word that is. Sealed. The mark of the King is the Holy Spirit. You don't trifle with what belongs to the King. You don't mess with what belongs to the King. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance. There's more coming. There's more coming, isn't there? Am I grateful that I have an advocate? Absolutely. Am I grateful that I have a deposit, a guarantee? Absolutely. Is that all I want? Is that all I long for? Is that all I desire? No, I'm still waiting. You understand? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I am so profoundly grateful for what I have. But you see what God does in the gospel? He tantalizes us. He encourages us. He seduces us in a most beautiful and blessed way to hope for something greater, something more. What do you see as you look down the corridors of this year ahead of you at things you cannot know and do not know? about which you can have no certainty, here is a thing about which every Christian may have certainty. There is more. Way more. And Jesus, who is our advocate right now in the presence of the Father, the Holy Spirit, who accompanies us in the midst of this journey, who will never leave us or forsake us, is a guarantee to us of that greater thing, that future inheritance. I mentioned that this word is used, this word parakletos or paraklesis is used to translate Old Testament words, which mean comfort. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry out to her, Speak tenderly, but cry out. Cry out to her. 
that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Barb asked me the other day, what does that mean? The answer is, you see it through the cross. You see that in the cross, you have received double and more than double for all your sins in the substitutionary death of Jesus. And there is comfort for you in that. Isaiah 61. The word is used over here. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Parakletos. Paraclesis. Jesus, the advocate, the spirit, the one who accompanies us. And yet the promise in the Son and in the Spirit that the Father has more in view for us. There is more coming, my friends. Now let me suggest to you, let me suggest to you that this begins to affect everything. This begins to affect everything, folks. This begins to affect your politics. Let me tell you something. Come November, no matter who is elected, Jesus will remain on the throne. Let me tell you something. No matter who is elected, the eternal hope which you have will not be taken away. Let me tell you something. No matter what happens to this country, and there is no place on earth I would rather live. Don't misunderstand me. No matter what happens to this country, your country is secure forever. The new heaven, the new earth, the land which Jesus will redeem from its bondage to sin and death and decay will be your land forever and ever. And the glory of God will prevail in it, no longer obscured by the sin and foolishness of worldly politicians on both sides of the aisle. That's what this means. There is more coming. This begins to affect how you think about finances, about your money, about ambition, about goals, about hopes and dreams. It affects how you think about disappointments and sadnesses. There is more. The final consolation is still out there in front of us. You think about your money, you think about your finances, you think about ambition, you think about goals... I'm sorry, I can't help but think again of the question that John D. Rockefeller was asked. Mr. Rockefeller, 
How much is enough? And you know what his answer was? Just a little more. Do you see, do you understand that when the final consolation of Israel arrives, you inherit the kingdom of your father because Jesus is not one who clutches these riches to himself. It is his good pleasure to distribute the riches of his kingdom upon his brothers and sisters. How much ambition is enough? How many fulfilled goals are enough? Haven't our hearts been enough broken by failed goals, disappointed dreams? I don't minimize the pain associated with those things. What I'm trying to do for myself and for you this morning is give us all a tonic, a tonic, a medicine that begins to eat away at those pains and disappointments saying to us, there's more to come. It could come this year. It could come this week. It could come right now. I have to finish with another famous Irishman. Actually, his father moved to Belfast from Wales. But again, as an Irishman, I have no pride. I'll claim him. C.S. Lewis grew up in Belfast. He wrote this, Apparently, then, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reconnected from something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door, which we have always seen from the outside, this longing is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real condition. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond our merits and also the healing of that old ache. The door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. And then this little poem that I love. Somewhere over the rainbow, way up high, there's a land that I heard of once in a lullaby. Somewhere over the rainbow, skies are blue, and the dreams that you dare to dream really do come true. Someday I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind me, where troubles melt like lemon drops away above the chimney tops. That's where you'll find me. Somewhere over the rainbow. Bluebirds fly. Birds fly over the rainbow. Why then, oh why, can't I? There's a land that I heard of once in a lullaby. Only it wasn't the figment of somebody's poetic imagination. It's the land 
that the scriptures tell us is coming for all who entrust themselves to the Lord of the land. Jesus, the advocate, consolation, comforter, helper. Bring the day, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, as we head into this year, would you steal our hearts in the way that you steeled the heart of Simeon? And may we each one be able to say, I can die today. I know it's coming. Mine eyes have seen the consolation of Israel. God, God give each of us grace to be able to say and sing that. We ask in your name. Amen.